So let me, uh, let's turn to Psalm 150 and let's read that again. It was our call to worship. It's just the emphasis we want to have this morning and, and frankly every day as we'll see. Matter of fact, why don't we stand and let's read this together. And you know, when we read scripture, uh, you, know, you know, we don't all have to be uh, like actors, dramatists or whatever, but, but there's a lot of exclamation marks in this psalm. So that means exclamation, exclamatory remarks. So, so man, let's, let's do this justice to some extent. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we come to our last Sunday here at this building that's housed us for the last eight and a half years. Um, Many wonderful events have happened here. Many hearing the gospel, some for the first time, some for the umpteenth time, responding to the gospel. Many being ministered to by the Spirit of God through the gifts of the Spirit that he gives to the church for the common good of the church. We've been ministered to by the Word of God week after week after week and throughout the weeks as well. There's been groups that have met here that have made much of Jesus and uh, introduced people to Jesus and multiplied, matured and multiplied disciples who enjoy, declare, and display the good news of Jesus Christ. Many baptisms through the years as well, many child dedications throughout the years. There's been lots of wonderful things. Many people have come, some have left. The Lord's blessed us with many new members over the time, many hours of prayer, many hours of counseling, many hours of work to make this gym into a a, a more suitable worship space. Um, Those of you who are here at the beginning, we know that that it was, there was no air conditioning in here um, at all. There was, there was very little that we had. But I remember the first day we came in here, and we all sat on the bleach, bleachers. I think there was probably 25 or 30 of us. And we sat on the bleachers, and we sang a couple songs together. No inst- Well, I think I had my guitar. And, um, and from that moment on, this place has been a gift to us. Yeah, through eight and a half years, seeing God maturing and multiplying people in this church family, you. I mean, as I look around, some of you have only been here for a short period of time, and you feel such a part of our family. It's a joy to be one of your friends and pastors. We thank God and we praise Him for all He's done. Mighty deeds. And now we move to a new location. Some... Um, would have some semblance of fear, but we think it's the same Lord who goes with us and strengthens us and has called us to this new location, a different location, but same God. We've experienced all sorts of ups and downs through the years, highs and lows, victories and defeats, uh, joys and sorrows, times of doubt, uh, times of great um, confidence, pursuit of the Lord and prayer and the word, and I imagine it will continue as we head to our new location on Smithville Road. And it's worth considering that in the Psalms, 
the various psalmists face all of life's fluctuations, fluctuations also. We, we know over these last number of weeks as we've been through psalms and other times when we've gone through different psalms, we know that the psalmists have, have been experiencing all sorts of things just like we do, which is why we want to go back to the psalms now and again to consider like the kind of guttural expressions that are there. Um, and we've been in the early psalms, Psalm, what have we done, three, four, five, six, nine, a handful of the early psalms, and they're all laments. They've been, they've been difficult. But at the end of the book, the, the fifth book of the psalms, at the end to the psalm that we get to today, for instance, uh, the darkness gives way to light. And friends who are going through darkness, the darkness will give way to light. The ultimate reality and priority of our lives comes into view. It's always been there, all the way through. But here it shines ever bright, and it's the ultimate reality and priority that's stated in this psalm, specifically this morning, repeatedly, that we want to get to. It's, it's repeated actually 13 times in six verses. Uh, it's, it's, it's done by way of song and emphasis, poetry, but it's um, hard to see when one is struggling with depression. It's hard to see when someone is struggling with sickness, disease, difficulty. But it's true every single moment of every single day. Specifically, the God is the absolute centerpiece and only worthy one of a life of true worship. God, God is the absolute centerpiece and he is the only worthy one for a life of true worship. In this psalm, we see plainly the where, why, how, and who's of the true worship that God intends. And so first, just where is God to be worshiped? I want to consider that in verse 1. Praise the Lord, he says. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. So place number one, worship God in his sanctuary. The, the set-apart place, the 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 place to be worshipped, where God is to be worshipped for his goodness and his greatness, which, which we've talked about in the past, make up his holiness, who he is. He's perfectly good and perfectly great, infinitely good, infinitely great. He is holy, and so there's a set-apartness in the sanctuary, worship God in his sanctuary. For the Jews, undoubtedly, the temple of God where he dwelt, undoubtedly. Place number two, worship God in his mighty heavens. In the expanse of space where the sun rests, where the moon and stars dwell. We recall from a couple of weeks ago when we talked to, when David talked to us, and he looked up at the heavens and he saw the glory of God displayed. And it caused him to worship him, to praise him. In the midst of all that was going on, he looked up and he saw God's glory manifested, his majesty. He worshiped him and he praised him and he proclaimed that he is good and great. So it wasn't just a theological construct in his head, it was that he saw that God is good, that God is great, and that he is worthy of our trust. So these two phrases teach us that God is to be worshipped in all of his creation, praised everywhere, in the sanctuary, in the sky, and, uh, and everywhere in between. There's no place where worship is out of place, where, where, we, where we praise God 
for who he is. Praise God on earth. We praise God in heaven. Praise God locally. We praise God universally. We praise God in his temple and everywhere else. Wherever you are, praise the Lord. You know the word hallelujah, right? Uh, means praise the Lord. John 4, God in his infinite wisdom uses a conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well to teach us that worship is not simply a mystical couple of hours once a week at a certain location. In that case, in a temple or a mountain somewhere. And Jesus tells the woman this in, in chapter 4, John four twenty one. the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Praise the Lord wherever you are. Hills, mountains, valleys, difficulties, good times, bad times, all of that. Praise the Lord where you are. Hebrews 13 15 puts it this way, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Everywhere you are, through him let us continually, through it all, praising God continually, not just on a Sunday morning for a short period of time during like a worship set. In Psalm 137, a few psalms back from where we are today, we hear a song of lament by the Jews who had been conquered and captured uh, by the brutal Babylonian Empire. So I know we have a hard time connecting what that must have been like, but, but um, I suppose, I suppose, put it in your head, imagine, imagine the, the group ISIS taking us over and taking us with them and being in their place and the brutality and so much more than just the brutality but taking everything away from you everything you've known all your identity as a jewish person the temple's gone your city's gone the place where you worship god seemingly gone everything gone and on top of that brutality so they sing this in psalm 137 by the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, that is the place of worship, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So you see the mocking, the, the, that, that kind of thing. They knew that their, part of their identity was this worship of Yahweh, and now Babylon has taken over, and they're going, sing us a song, guys. Smile about it. And they're weeping. And they say, how shall we sing Yahweh's song in a foreign land? Well, friends, there is never to be that question on the lips of a follower of Jesus Christ. There is no foreign land to God. No geographical location, no circumstantial situation where God cannot or should not be praised. Throughout God's word, we see Noah worshiping God in an ark. 
of gopher wood. Abraham worshiped God on a mountain. Moses worshiped God on the backside of a deserted place. Job worshiped God in a heap of ashes. David worshiped God in a cave. Solomon worshiped God in the temple. Daniel worshiped God in a den of lions. The three Hebrew boys, right, they were in the middle of the fire worshiping God. Jonah worshiped God, where? In the belly of a fish. Paul and Silas worshiped God, chained in prison. John worshiped God on a deserted island. And, and what about us today? Throughout the last 2,000 years, followers of Christ have worshiped God everywhere, anywhere, and through whatever it was they were facing, and today is no exception. Wherever you find yourself, always and with no qualifications, we are called to worship God. We praise Him as the Lord of all creation. Our circumstances don't, don't give Him the right for worship or the worthiness of worship. Our, our circumstances being tipped either one way or the other, God is always worthy of our worship. We praise him as the Lord of creation, the Lord of our very lives, our sure and certain hope and joy amid all the good days and all the bad days. And certainly as we gather here together on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or as we gather together as the people of God, there is something special a special sense of the presence of God is, as we've said over and over again, as we, as we come together by the blood of Jesus to Mount Zion, to the heavenlies, and worshiping him who is worthy week after week. But worship of God is not relegated to a couple of hours one day a week or two days a week. He's worthy of a life of worship. A, a presentation of our bodies and souls and minds surrendered to God in the moments of our days. And of course, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to him. It's, it's your reasonable act of worship. So where do we worship? Everywhere. When? Always. Turn to Psalm 145 for a moment. We'll just read verses 1 through 5. Psalm 145 says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another. Parents, you see purpose in the difficult moments, the difficult days, the great days, the purpose here. One generation shall commend your works, God, to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Not, not just once a week, right? But throughout your days, in the conversations, even in the moments of correction, Right? In the moments of correction, there's a way, there's a way to see God at work in the moments of difficulty. When depressed, when difficulty comes in, to be able to look back and to see the hand, the faithfulness of God. When you can't see God's faithfulness, and I know sometimes it's so dark, it's so dark that you can't, you can't see back, and you can't see forward, and you, you're confused about the moment. Friends, we are a body who can come together and encourage one another all the more as, as we see the day coming near. We need the Lord, we need the Spirit, and we need the body of Christ. So, 
Think of the song, worthy of every song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. We live for him. And that leads us to the second question. Why is God to be worshipped? Verse 2 of Psalm 150. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So we got two things. There's mighty deeds and his excellent greatness. We, We worship God for one reason, He's worthy. He is worthy. He deserves our praise. I know it, it sounds like spiritual kind of church language, but you can't get around it. He is worthy. He is the only one worthy of our worship. When, when we worship and focus on other things, we are misplacing our worship. He is the only one, as the main statement that I had states, God is the absolute centerpiece and only worthy one for a life of true worship. He's the only one. We're certainly certainly told to worship God, but even if we aren't, we'd be morally obligated to because of who he is, just because because of who he is, whether whether you suppress the truth or not of who he is. The fact that he is God, he is Yahweh, he is the creator, he is the holy one, he is the immutable, unshakable one, he is the one who deserves all of our praise. But he deserves our praise specifically because of what he's done first. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. I think enough said. When we look at the heavens, we're amazed. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, again, someone can look at the heavens and totally suppress any sense of God by exalting something else and something less. But the foolishness of man does not negate the glory of God. That's declared so magnificently night after night. When we look up at the heavens, it's clear that God's to be praised, worshipped, honored. But our psalm alludes to more than just the creation of the heavens. He speaks of his mighty deeds. So when we look down from the heavens, I mean, the creation is his mighty deeds, but when we look down from heavens and look around, we're able to consider the mighty deeds of God and give him genuine and grateful praise. Now, in the Old Testament, where the psalmists usually go back to is most often the exodus, the, the, their deliverance from Egypt and seeing God being faithful to them. And, and sure enough, God's dealings with Israel as it concerns Egypt specifically, um, along with other things throughout history, uh, really demonstrate his mighty power. But as, as Christians, we read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. So when we read of the mighty acts of God, we don't have to go back to exodus. Uh, we certainly can go back to Exodus, but this Exodus is not a full story. Exodus is a picture of something else, a um, more glorious act of God. We immediately must go to Christ. You think of the birth of Christ, the, the life of Christ, his death and his resurrection and his ascension and the coming promised return of Jesus. Given by the Father and made alive to him by the Spirit, we worship God as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We praise God for what he's done for us through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we thank the Father, and we thank the Father by the Spirit, and we thank the Father by the Spirit for the gift of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So think about it just for a moment here. As far as mighty acts of God go, Jesus stood before God with all our sin upon him on the cross so that through faith we might stand before God with none of our sin on us. That, that's what happened at the cross. He who was righteous was judged before God as unrighteous, that we who are unrighteous could be judged before God as righteous. You get the switch there, this change that's taken place for all who trust in Christ. He was made for us all that God must judge, and by faith we are made in him all that God will no longer judge. He was judged in our place so that we wouldn't be judged. At the cross of Calvary, as the phrase goes, or the old song goes, Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because you owed a debt that you could not pay. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had committed all of our sins so that he could treat us as if we had practiced all the righteousness of God. The verse of it is well, I think one of my favorite verses in the song, it is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. What's the response? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. God deserves our praise because of what he's done. Secondly, God deserves our praise because of who he is. The second half of verse 2 says, Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Just his nature and his, his person, the character of God, independent of any and all of his mighty deeds. God deserves to be praised, not because of what he's done primarily, but because of who he is. He didn't have to do anything. Thank God that he did. But he did not have to for us to worship him. We see that God is worthy of our worship because he alone is God. We are to praise God in a manner that, author, that, that, that honors the surpassing greatness of his holy name. In the third century, one man, Theophilus of Antioch, wrote this. He says, for in glory he is incomprehensible, in greatness unfathomable, in height inconceivable, in power incomparable, in wisdom unrivaled, in goodness inimitable. In kindness, unutterable. The psalmist says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. John says, Jesus says in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John would write in 1 John 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is what? Greater than he who is in the world. Our God is a great God, and we should worship God in a manner that honors his eternal, infinite, sovereign, and unchanging greatness. This is what it means to give God the highest praise. So when we sing a song like we raise a hallelujah, we really raise a praise God. We raise a hallelujah. This is what we, what we do. It's not just a song we like. It's not just a song that just kind of fits our genre or something. We raise a hallelujah. We're giving God the highest praise. There is no simple perverted statement that's made its way into a modern song list or song like the song Hallelujah. 
that's sung by all sorts of people. This raise a hallelujah is the hallelujah of God's people declaring that God is glorious, that he is mighty, that he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our praise amid depression. He is worthy of our praise amid the best day. He is worthy of our praise amid the, the, the difficult doctor visit. A.W. Tozer once said that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Let me say that again. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And it's also the most important thing in our worship. Of course, our lives are to be worship. The sad commentary is that many come to church and celebrate God's greatness on Sunday, but every other day we live as if the circumstances of life are greater than God. We, we remember, and rightly so, we come to be refreshed and renewed and to be reminded. But God is great, not just on a Sunday morning. God is great every single moment of every single day, no matter what comes. And so this Psalm 150 is not just for a Sunday morning. This Psalm 150 is for Monday morning. This Psalm 150 is for Wednesday afternoon. This Psalm 150 is for Saturday mornings and Saturday nights. God receives the highest praise when those of us who worship his greatness also walk in his greatness by the present power of the Spirit surrendered to our King Jesus who is worthy. The, the Lord is magnified and glorified when we state not only with our lips but with our lives and affections that God is greater than our problems, that he is greater than our sickness, that he is greater than our enemies, that he is greater than our needs, that he is greater than our desires. He is greater than death. He is the resurrection and the life. He's entirely worthy of our praise for all he's done and all who he is and all he continues to be and all he's promised and is faithful to be true to. How is God to be worshipped? Verse 3, praise him with trumpet sound, praise him with lute and harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. When I first became a pastor in 1993, there was something going on during those years called the worship wars. And for those of you who were in church at the time, you know that there was the, the transition between like traditional, kind of traditional worship and, and contemporary worship. It was an unfortunate distinction, but nevertheless, it was like piano and organ versus guitars and drums or that kind of thing, or hymns and choruses. Uh, I remember in our church growing up, we always had um, a piano and, and uh, organ, but we had the hymn book, and then there was another book that just had some like Maranatha songs in it, or or something from uh, from the you know 50s, 60s, 70s, and, um, and and granted, some of those songs were pretty weak uh, comparatively to what we have today in in the, the hymnody that we have today in the in the broader spectrum of Christian worship, Christian music. But unfortunately, um, there are all sorts of books written about it on both sides, and all sorts of churches were divided even destroyed, all based on what amounted to the varied musical tastes and proclivities of individuals. Um, I remember somebody, I led worship for the f 
I don't know, a handful of times initially in our first church, and uh, I was playing guitar, and um, I was taken to my office by a few people, and I was told we're not doing camp at, on our Sunday morning worship set. We're not going to camp. So put the guitar away. Anyway, so that's uh, um, the, the way it was. And, and it, but things, things switched over time. There's, there's softness and humility, and, and thankfully, in, in everyone that was involved. And, and, uh, and so it kind of became a little bit more of like what we do here. But even though the so-called worship wars are generally a thing of the past, at least I think they're mostly a thing of the past, or kind of in our circles anyway, maybe they are, but still, our thoughts about worship can easily become about us, about how we feel, about our experience, about style, about length of service, about lights or no lights, or on and on. But genuine worship seeks to exalt one thing, and that is the unequaled greatness of God. I know Matt Redmond came out with that song a number of years ago, right, when the music fades, but like literally you go overseas and you go to a small church and there's a guitar, maybe, or you go to India or maybe Africa and people are just singing. They got a tambourine, one drum, and they're pumping it out because they're praising and worshiping the incomparable God. I'm thankful for all their instruments. Thankful for all the people to play. Thankful for our sound. I'm thankful for all this stuff. I'm thankful for the lights. None of it's necessary. But we use it all to glorify God. So we play with, I mean, thankfully Spencer is not a loud clanging cymbal kind of guy, but, he, but, but he's a wise, uh, skilled player on the drums. But if he were, friends, there is an excitement that is, that is there in the soul to be singing out and crashing the cymbals together because you love Jesus. Our worship is for him. Our worship is to him. He is both the subject of our worship and he is the object, whether through the music or prayers or scripture reading or offering or Lord's Supper or the sermon. Each is for the Lord and to the Lord. And while those things are aspects of corporate worship, Psalm 150 does teach us that God likes to be praised specifically through music, all sorts of music, all sorts of genres, but not all these instruments, all these genres, all all these styles pale in comparison to the worshiper's heart. It's so central that Paul says in Ephesians 5.19 that actually spiritual singing, God-oriented singing is actually evidence of the filling of the Spirit. The point of the text is not about musical instruments. Again, it's found in the implications of them. And mentioning everything from a shepherd's horn to a, to a loud clanging symbol, God is praised in joyful, uninhibited, and wholehearted worship. And let me say that again. He is praised in joyful, uninhibited, wholehearted worship. God lists these specific musical instruments from winds to strings to percussions as a way of telling us to give him total praise. We should give praise to him by all means. 
Our minds, our bodies, our voices, our talents, our emotions, our wills, all we are and all that we have should be fully offered to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise, again, not just on Sundays, but every day, and especially as we gather on Sundays when we come into his presence together with singing. It's why we want to call, we, we call this time a celebration gathering. It is a time to come and to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ, to celebrate Christ himself, to celebrate the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We come into his presence together with singing. Mark chapter 14 speaks of a story of a a lady who crashes a party that Jesus was attending and she was carrying a bottle of fine perfume that would have amounted evidently to most men's annual salary at the time. You, you may remember that this lady brings this jar in and she breaks it and she begins to anoint Jesus' head with the perfume and, and people's response to that, generally speaking, is like, what a waste. What a waste. And people today probably would still say the same when people express unhindered devotion to the Lord. Even some in the church that may not like such excitement. C certainly the world out there or the world in the church doesn't think it's a waste to get excited about music or money or alcohol or cars or houses or sex or even the American flag. But if you get excited about Jesus, well, what a, what a waste. It's kind of irritating. Or that's embarrassing. But how did Jesus respond? He said in verse 6 of Mark 14, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. And he even promised that her devotion would be remembered throughout history wherever the gospel is preached, like today. The Lord remembers those who express their devotion to him truly, freely, lavishly, and sacrificially. So friends, can I encourage you, pour it on. The worship that we express in not just on a Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Pour it on. The Lord is worthy. Let the Spirit guide you. Pour on the praise. If Jesus is your Lord, if the Spirit has filled you and he's filling you repeatedly, pour on the praise. Sing it out. Raise your hands. Jump up and down. Dance. Shout with joy. Clap. Rejoice. He's worthy. He's worthy. Who is to worship God? Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Just a couple of Psalms previously in Psalm 148, we read of things that don't have breath, that praise the Lord. Things like mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars. And so when the Pharisees told Jesus to rebuke the crowds for their celebration of praise as he entered into Jerusalem, Jesus responded by saying this. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, Kale mentioned this verse already, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Inanimate. Stones. The stones would cry out. So if even those things that don't have breath, praise the Lord, it's only fitting that God would be praised by everything that does have breath. Here's the point. God, the creator and ruler of the world, deserves the praise of everything and everyone. His glory fills the universe, so his praise should do no less. Every living thing should sing joyful praises to the Lord. Our worship does not, must not simply be confined to a church service but while we breathe, we should praise. We should fill the whole world with the praises of God, whether for the past eight years in Bellbrook or 
the next number of years as we move into a bright future into Dayton. Friends, no matter your finances, no matter your health, no matter your circumstances, no matter your location, if you are breathing, you have sufficient reason to praise the Lord for he is good and he is infinitely great. And so take some time to consider what he's done in the past, even just the past eight and a half years, and how he's provided us now with this new location that he's, that we've prayed for for a number of years and now, Lord willing, enjoy for years. And The Lord is good, and he is worthy, he is great. And for those who are in Christ, our enjoyment of and praise towards our treasure, our Savior, our Lord and friend will never end but only grow in utter ecstatic worship where we enjoy him with no hindrance whatsoever. When, when, when we praise God in these days, we echo forth the sounds and reality of eternity. It's not just simply that we're going to be walking around heaven or singing all the time in heaven. It is just, you know those moments? And there's, there's moments. There's moments where you just feel the presence of the Lord so clearly. The way that some would describe it was like the glory of God just comes down, or our eyes are opened more, or we try to grasp at definitions and whatever. The reality is, it is so tight. It is so awesome, and you're so encouraged. It is just a hint of all that's to come. The worthy worship is even happening right now as we've gathered together in the Lord's presence right now. There's the way he, the author of Hebrews talks about it is there's a party going on in heaven right now, and we come and join that celebration. God is the absolute centerpiece and only worthy one for a life of true worship. And may that be true as we leave this place, throughout our days, and as we enter in next week to worship the true God in that new place, where the gospel has not, most likely, been preached for a long time or sung about in a new community. May the Lord Jesus see to it that many come to faith in him and that our fires are stoked and that we are excited people who are not subdued by circumstances, but we give our circumstances to the Lord and we have a heart and attitude of great adoration and great praise, for he is faithful.